You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey there, Jess O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist here in Orange County today. So just south of Los Angeles. I'm on my own without Brandon, but I'm not totally on my own. I am here with psychologist and sex therapist, Dr. Maha Nasrallah Babenko. Yes. All right. I'm impressed you pronounced it correctly. <laughs> Nasrallah Babenko. You know, Actually, much more sexy than most people pronounce it. <laughs> How would you pronounce it in yeah. your tongue? Nasrallah Babenko. So okay. the way you pronounce it is even more sexy than the way I would pronounce oh, it. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Now, so you are you're a psychologist, you're a sex therapist. You've yeah. worked, worked and lived all over the world. You lived in Beirut, Lebanon, which is one of my favorite places mm-hmm. I've ever visited. You lived in Dubai yeah. for a while. You studied and lived in London, London. England. Mm-hmm. And now you're here on the West Coast. Yeah. And, and I was in New York for a year and a half. Oh, right. That's, <laughs> that's where I met you yeah. at the Sexual Health Expo. Exactly. And we're going to be talking about a number of topics today, but I want to begin with this equine therapy mm. because this is all new to me. Can you tell me what this is, how you got into it, and how we can all you know, have some takeaways from this therapy with horses. Absolutely. And first of all, I want to thank you for having me today. I'm really, really excited. And I was really glad to see you here and attend your event. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours, in case you haven't noticed. Thank you. (laughs) I really learned a lot from you, even though I'm an expert, quote unquote. But I think we are continuously learning and, and growing. And I really really appreciate the information you put out there. Really, I'm, I'm very serious. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's true. Every event I go to, I am constantly learning Yeah, e- from experts and non-experts alike. So I always think it's interesting when people say mm-hmm. like, oh, I know all this. Mm-hmm. How can you know all this? Yeah, exactly. I study this all day, every day. And I feel, I mean, I know that I know very little. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I learn from my clients a lot too. Just of like, course. yeah, I'm sure you do from, like you said, non experts. Of yeah. course. Yeah, their insights yeah. I think are often more valuable because they're not in their heads yeah. in the same way that we are. So, exactly. you know, for all of you out there, you are the experts in your Absolutely. own relationship. I agree. Yeah. So, equine therapy or equine therapy, doesn't matter how you pronounce it. Um, I got into it like a year ago in terms of starting to study it. Uh, but um, maybe six months ago or five, six months ago or so, I started practicing it um, mm-hmm. here in Orange County. Uh, I don't know. I think having a dog, I, we got we had a dog. Uh, we got a dog two years ago, uh, my husband and I. <laughs> yes, she's adorable. Um, I think, yeah, having a dog uh, and my love for animals and therapy and all that stuff, I started to kind of think of ways to combine them. And I started to do some research and realized that it is a thing already, working with animals uh, in therapy. So I started... Um, a certification on animal-assisted psychotherapy. And when I moved to Orange County, I connected with uh, the organization I'm working with, Walk Into It, we're a nonprofit, and they do equine therapy. Um, so uh, it's been so fascinating um, to practice it and just learn from it on a regular basis. Uh, and fascinating to see how horses respond to our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviors, our body language. Um, and give us such important information and feedback in a session that we can use therapeutically to help a client. And it can be so powerful at times that you won't get the same result in traditional therapy in an office. Not that that's not valuable. It's obviously very valuable, and I do that as well, and I love it. 
Uh, and it's not for everyone, equine therapy, but... Um, it wouldn't be for Brandon, for example. <laughs> yeah. I think he was kicked by a horse when he was oh, younger. Oh, no. Um, so he'd have, to do, he'd have to do the therapy first <laughs> in order to get near I, the horse. I think that would actually be even more beneficial for him to get ah. over those fears. Ah. Um, because it is a safe way to do it. You know, you're with a therapist and usually also an equine professional, so a horse expert. Right. You know, we're not going to do things that are dangerous, um, and we're not going to be working with horses that are, um, you know, that are like severely traumatized that they can't be around people or something like that, right. you know. They're so not wild a, horses. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do with the horses? You're not yeah. riding them. No. I mean, occasionally there might be some riding. I don't necessarily do riding in my sessions, but some therapists might, but I don't. Um, it's groundwork. So it could be it could be not even touching a horse and you could be just l watching a horse or a bunch of horses or herd of horses interact and projecting your own story onto them. Um, Can you walk me through that? So, for example, if let's say there's three horses in an arena and, and, and a client is like, um, oh, what's what are they doing? Like they might be n nibbling at each other. OK. Um, and the client might be asking us, oh, what are they doing? Um, and therapeutically, we don't always answer the question, oh, they're just playing, because uh, it might mean many different things. We're not 100% sure what it means. We'll, we'll reflect the question back to the client and be like, well, what does it look like to you? Um, and they could say, oh, it looks like they're fighting. Okay, so that's their story. I might see it as they're playing. They might see it as they're fighting. And they see it that way because that's probably their experience. Uh, that's probably what it feels like to them. Um, that may relate to their life in any way. You know what I mean? So they project their own feelings or thoughts or experiences, or their own stories onto what they see, basically. That's one way we can work with a horse in terms of projection. Another way is um, could be petting, brushing, just um, brushing, grooming. Um, that could be very therapeutic in terms of learning to be mindful, present, um, focusing on your sensations, being in the moment. Um, so there's a lot of grounding in, in working with horses as well. Um, in addition to that, you can do more active um, exercises or activities um, or structured activities like walking a horse through a, uh, an obstacle path, for example. We could, for example, ask a client, and if we're working with couples, it's, it's even more fascinating, <laughs> um, to walk, to create a path, let's say, that represents... Um, for example, their, um, their obstacles in their relationship, okay? And there's, there's props. They have a bunch of props they can pick from, and they create a path and pick props that represent the obstacles. And so let's say we ask them to walk the horse together through that path, and you can totally see how um, they interact with each other, um, and you see the dynamics in the relationship, because basically it's therapy in action. You see what it's like. You don't just talk about it. Right. Who is the leader? Exactly. Who is the follower? Exactly. How do they give directions? How do they communicate? How do they communicate? You know, exactly. I, I do this exercise without horses because mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know anything about horses, yeah. nor do I have access to horses <laughs> in downtown Toronto. But oftentimes in groups, when mm. we're talking about how we receive directions, mm -hmm. we'll blindfold one partner yeah. and the other partner has to walk without touching. Mm -hmm and talk this person around various obstacles. We do that with a horse. That, that Bli makes Like so blindfolded, walking a horse, and their partner or parent or whatever um, has to guide them verbally through a path. Interesting. Yeah. And, and so oftentimes we think we're saying one thing, mm -hmm. 
but we're maybe not saying it with as much specificity, exactly. right? And I think about as we relate this to sex, like, mm-hmm. oh, be gentle. I want yeah. you to be gentle. All right. Can you be more specific? Yeah. Do you want me what to use that mean? Yeah, four fingertips mm-hmm. and gently trace them mm-hmm. down your spine? Do you want me to take the pad of my thumb and trace it in a figure eight <laughs> over your collarbone? The, the Be gentle yeah. is so broad. Even with therapists and experts, they say things like communicate. Mm-hmm. Tell people mm-hmm. how you feel. Okay, but can we give people the language? Yeah. Because Absolutely. it's like saying drive safely. Okay, but there's a reason we take courses in safe mm-hmm. and defensive driving. And so I can imagine with a horse, mm. because you develop a connection. Yes. Is, is there a chemical response between horse and... Absolutely. It's probably just like having a dog or with yeah. your partner as well. Any, um, I'm sure the oxytocin levels mm-hmm. increase. Um, that you build a relationship, like you said. There's a connection there. There's building trust. And that's another thing that horses can help us with. Um, the you know the more you work with them, you build that relationship and trust, and so you experience what it's like to build a relationship and to build that trust. Especially if you find that difficult with people, for example, you know, so you can practice that in a session. Let's say assertiveness is difficult for you, um, and I, and I notice that in a client because let's say I'm asking her to walk a horse, and she's very like, you know, scared to pull on the rope or. Um, like, you know, quiet in the way she's trying to, like, encourage the horse to walk with her and he's not moving. Um, So she can literally practice what it means to be firm and consistent without being harsh or aggressive, right? So her tone of voice, what would that sound like if she was a bit louder but not yelling? What would it feel like if she was um, just maintaining a consistent pressure on the rope without being forceful, you know? What would it feel like? Um, And then she would see the result that the horse will eventually trust her and follow. And um, she can achieve what she wants in a kind and firm way without being aggressive or hurting anything. So that's the beauty of working with horses is that you can practice things and and feel the shift. I can imagine it's a bridge in practicing these skills, like Mm -hmm. these these communication skills that maybe you're not comfortable with a human, but you practice on a horse first. And I I can imagine that you must extrapolate much of this research around horses Mm -hmm. from and to dogs. I've I've seen the research where if you look into your dog's eyes... Yeah. They experience a boost in oxytocin, Absolutely. and you do and too. And you do, exactly. I'm sure you know what it feels like, right? <laughs> I do, I do. I remember with my dog, she wouldn't look me in the eye when she didn't want to mm-hmm. listen to me because she yep. couldn't disobey me and look me in the eye, that cute little thing. <laughs> and it's interesting because we have some research on the benefits yeah. of pet ownership, mm-hmm. like in terms of even just being healthier yeah. because you're forced to go out of the house and take mm-hmm. care of the dog and take them for a walk. And then we have... The, the flip side, which is that, of course, couples fight about walking responsibilities, oh, yeah. you know, where the dog should sleep, how much to spend on food and veterinary care and mm-hmm. dog sitting and, and all of those items. But I was thinking that the, the there's research in workplace mm. settings mm. that the mere suggesting that the mere presence of a dog in group situations is positively correlated with an increase in trust, in cooperation, Mm. in enthusiasm, and in intimacy. So just taking the dog into the workplace breaks down barriers. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think when we're working with a horse, for example, with a couple, Mm -hmm. it's easier for them to talk about things because the horse is there. 
then we're sitting in an office face to face, you know, in a closed room. It's much more intimidating. It's yeah, it's more scary. Whereas when you're outdoors in nature, there's a horse there. It's much more light. It's less threatening. You're calmer because there's a, an animal around and you're outdoors. It's much easier to talk about sensitive things and difficult things. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. And I think whether you you seek out equine therapy mm. Or you just take this research and insert it into your lives. It could be as simple as if you have to have a tense conversation, mm-hmm. do it while you're walking your dog. It's funny because, like, my husband and I, sometimes, sometimes we argue. We're not perfect, of even course. though I'm a relationship therapist, right? <laughs> I always argue. <laughs> um, our dog, Lexi, um, when the tension is heated, she will go into her crate because she doesn't like the tension. Aww. So that's our cue. Like, okay. Maybe we should calm down now. <laughs> oh, I, I really appreciate that because I love the other cues, yeah. right? whether they're in your body yeah. or in the room, mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes we just get so overwhelmed, yeah. right? And we know once your heart rate is over 100 mm-hmm. beats per minute, you you your capacity to be rational, to be empathetic, yeah. all of that goes on the Absolutely. decline. Uh, so who for whom would equine therapy be indicated? Like I, I'm yeah. thinking about trauma survivors. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking oh, about yeah. people who want to break intergenerational habits around communication. Who is it a good fit for? Yeah. Trauma is a huge thing when it comes to equine therapy. I think it's absolutely great for trauma survivors. Um, I, I would say it's for the majority of people. Mm. The only times I would say it might not be suitable um, are let's say someone has like, you know, allergies or like severe phobias, you know, Mm -hmm. they can't, um, like it's much more damaging for them to be in that situation, then obviously I would not encourage that yet. Maybe they can work on that and then get to a stage where they're more comfortable with that. But again, a fear of horses like Brandon, for example, that's fine. I think that actually might be beneficial for him. It's funny. He's yeah. not like he'll be around a horse. Yeah. If we want if I wanted to go on, you know, a horseback yeah. ride on the beach on vacation, he'd do it. He just doesn't like horses. Yeah. yeah. And his Chinese zodiac sign is a horse. <laughs> so he's got he's got horses in his life. Uh my step my stepbrother's fiance, so yeah. I guess my sister in law, uh, owns a horse mm. and I, I I guess I always thought of a horse as a distant pet mm, or mm. distant because it doesn't live with you. I didn't yeah. realize uh, until, you know, I got yeah. talking to her yeah. that this is a really significant bond. Oh, and yeah. I was looking at research around losing a pet and mm. specifically around losing a dog and how it can actually be more difficult than losing a loved yeah. a loved one who's a human yeah. uh, because the loss is as significant, but our sociocultural mm-hmm. norms don't facilitate everyone's understanding like I have to admit when my aunt lost her well I guess her daughter lost her dog Mm. around Christmas many years ago uh she she was upset about something else but she was most upset about the fact that the dog died and I remember thinking like is she really that upset over a dog it's just a dog and then I got my own dog and I was like oh that thing's a big part of your life and I know that horses can be the same so horses um the difference between horses and dogs going back to how they relate to each other Mm -hmm. there's obviously very similarities that you can take from the relationship with horses and the relationship with dogs but the difference is that horses are prey animals and dogs are predators so the reason why horses can be so beneficial in therapy is because they're prey animals their senses are so heightened because they have to be very aware all the time of what's going on around them because they want to assess for danger. 
Ah. Right. They want to keep themselves safe. That's their first priority. So in order to do that, they have to be fully present all the time. They can't think about the future. They can't be in the past. They have to be right here, right now. They have to be hearing what's around them, seeing what's around them, smelling what's around them. And so when we come into their space, they're sensing our emotions, our thoughts, our energy, our body language to assess whether or not we're safe. So that's why like their their responses or reactions to what we do or what we say is really useful information. So if let's say you're feeling sad inside about something, but you're acting really happy, the horse is going to call you out on that. Huh. I mean, in different ways, but they're, they're going to either, let's say, walk away from you, nibble at you, or they're going to do something to tell us, basically, that something is, is going on here. So the horse is like, how can I trust you if what you're saying or doing is different than what you're feeling, right? So they really need to feel safe, right? So if we're coming into their space with um, anything that might make them feel like, I'm not sure about you, th they're going to do something to, to show us that that's the case, right? So safety wow. is number one for them. And number two is they need connection. They can't survive on their own. They're herd animals. So they communicate with each other all the time. They have like a, um, you know, herd dynamics as well. So when we enter their herd, that's why it really shows us the, the relationship dynamics as well. Like it shows us how we are in a herd, right? So that's why horses are a little different than dogs when it comes to working with them as therapy animals. Are they yeah. smarter? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> They're very smart, I'm though. sure I pissed off a bunch of people. Like, my dog <laughs> is the smartest dog. My golden retriever is on the honor roll, and I have a bumper sticker on the back I've of my truck. I've seen those bumper stickers. <laughs> I think I imagine they're poking fun at people who put their honor roll stickers for their kids oh on their God. car. I think that's more of an American thing than a Canadian thing. I don't think I've seen that in, in really Canada. Funny. So if people want to learn more mm. about equine therapy, obviously they can check out your website, yeah. which is... Well, uh, my website is changing to sexualhealingdoc.com. Okay, so we'll, yeah. and we'll link to your Instagram. Yes. Uh, and just generally, where do they go? Is there an overarching or supervising organization? Um, EGALA is more the, um, I guess, training uh, organization. How do you spell that? E-A-G-A-L-A. E-A-G-A-L-A. All right. Yeah. So folks can check that out. And I want to switch gears because we have you here. Yes. And you have multiple <laughs> specialties, including working with people who are struggling with painful sex mm -hmm. or vaginismus, yes. a type of painful mm -hmm. sex. So can, can we switch to that? And can yeah. you tell me a little bit? about what vaginismus is. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really good um, question because that definition is changing too. Um, so, and there's, there's, I think, a couple of definitions. I'm going to tell you the definition that I like. I like to look at vaginismus, which is now called genitopelvic pain disorder. And oh. um, the DSM-5, uh, they classified like all the kind of uh, vaginismus and painful sex um, dysfunctions into kind of one chunk. Um, I like to view it as less of the muscle spasm and more of the, whether it's the fear of um, penetration or any difficulty with um, penetration, whether it's a, f a finger, a penis, a tampon, despite the desire to do so. So my definition is when a woman wants to have sex or 
insert a tampon, let's say, um, she has a desire to do so, but she's finding it difficult, either because there's fear or there is an actual like physical, like her legs are, you know, tightening up or um, or her or her vaginal muscles or, you know, pelvic muscles are uh, tensing up. But I'm, I'm focused less on the muscular and more on the emotional, psychological part, you know. Right. Because it is a psychogenic response. Exactly. And yes. so and it can be very severe. Um, folks with vaginismus, it can feel as though you're hitting a brick wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, but sometimes they don't even get there, is my point. Mm -hmm. They don't even get to the penetration mm -hmm. to feel like there's a brick wall. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times there isn't even the physical attempt of penetration. They want to have sex, but they're not even able to allow their partner to penetrate because of the immense fear. So okay. that to me... It's not maybe not technically vaginismus, but I still would treat it in the same way. If that okay, makes sense. so we, it begins with a fear. Yeah, the physical symptom is the inability to penetrate mm -hmm, exactly. or extremely painful yes. penetration. And mm -hmm. why would you want to do anything unless mm -hmm. you're into pain, which of course is a, a separate discussion that yeah. if you're into pain, that's totally cool. But this is an unwanted pain. Unwanted pain, exactly. And it's a, the muscles do clamp up. Mm -hmm. To the point that there's no way to put anything in. Yes. Right. And exactly. So the new research, what are they suggesting as treatment? Um, well, the treatment I've been kind of following is pretty much the same. Okay. <laughs> I haven't changed much. Because, okay. um, again, I look at the emotional, psychological part, and that's, I would say that that's similar now than it was maybe 10 years ago. Okay. You know, I don't think that that's changed much Maybe the classification of the disorder has changed, but treatment-wise, at least for me, I haven't changed much in terms of my approach. Okay. So, yeah. so we know that folks obviously should see a pelvic floor therapist. Well, here's the thing. I do encourage that for sure. But my only concern with that, with that is that there's too much focus on the physical. Right and not enough focus on the emotional or psychological, which is that fear. So let's or talk about the that. lack of arousal in the relationship, yes. right? Or the, uh, yeah, the, the lack of attraction or whatever it is, or lack of trust. That's a big part of it, lack of trust. Um, so if you're just addressing the physical part and loosening up your pelvic muscles, that's not enough for a lot of people. You know, you might be able to insert a tampon in that situation, but you're still not going to be able to have sex with your partner necessarily because if you don't trust them or if you're not aroused by them, um, you might not want that and your body's going to respond. Or you might be able to have sex because your muscles are more relaxed, but are you enjoying that? Is that what you really want? You know, there's a lot more complexity here. So I would just caution in terms of like, yeah, work with a pelvic floor therapist if you really feel like it's just your muscles that are, um, you know, um, inhibiting you or preventing you from having the sexual relationship you want. But sometimes that's not enough. Right. Um, I would think yeah. that the pelvic floor therapist would work in tandem with a sex therapist sometimes, or psychologist. Sometimes they don't. Okay. I, I, I mean, I'm sure some, some do value the psychological part and some maybe view it just as a muscular issue, right? Um, so... I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I would really hope so. So where do you begin from a psychological perspective? Yeah. I would begin with um, education. So a lot of the times people, like you've said many times in your podcast, in your work, that we don't have enough 
education growing up about sex or the right education or education at all, right? Um, or we have all of these um, misconceptions about sex or myths that we believe or that have been told growing up and negative beliefs about sex and shame associated with sex. So, uh, yeah. How do we begin <laughs> to dismantle sexual shame? With the right education, I would say, is the number one step. So um, challenging a client's beliefs or myths about sex. For example, um, a woman shouldn't have pleasure. You know, it's just for the man's pleasure. That's a myth, right? Or a belief that some people still have and we need to challenge that. Or that sex is going to be painful. Or it's okay for it to be painful. Right. Um, so we need to challenge those beliefs. Where did you get that from? Um, who, who's, who told you that? Where's the evidence for that? Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of questioning and challenging, I would say, with starting um, that conversation and providing them with resources, reading books. There's a couple of books that I usually um, recommend, one for women, one for men that I love. The book for women is called Becoming Orgasmic. Uh, by Julia Hyman, even though it's specifically for women who have difficulty having orgasms, I think it's a really useful book for women in general. When Becoming it comes to, orgasmic. Yes, okay. when it comes to sexuality and just getting in touch with your sexuality, your body, and getting more comfortable with your body. So number one is education, right? Number two is, I would say, connecting with your own body. Can I just back you yeah. up for a quick second? Sure. And which is the book the book, sorry, for the men? For the yeah. penises. <laughs> for the penises. <laughs> <laughs> we we conveniently forget about the penises sometimes, but we, we do love a penis. <laughs> it's an old book, but ironically call, called The New Male Sexuality. Oh, uh, Bernie. Yes, uh, Zilbergeld. Zilbergeld, yeah. yes. That's exactly. a really important book. Yes, absolutely. I do love that book. Um, sorry, penises. Didn't mean to ignore you there. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we begin to understand our bodies. Mm -hmm. We relinquish sexual shame. Yes. And then what? And so I first start with um, like I, I call solo exercises, um, which is um, a step, you know, a progressive um, program of um, self-sensate, meaning a woman first starts to look at her body in the mirror. And we talk about how that felt, what came up for her, what, what did she view her body as, you know, what parts did she like, what parts did she not like. Um, and then the more they practice that, the more accepting of their bodies they usually become. Um, and then they move gradually towards um, exploring her genital area, uh, first by looking at it and then eventually um, by touching it, not necessarily in a pleasurable way, but more just in, in a discovering, a curiosity, exploratory way, right? Um, and then eventually moving towards inserting a finger, her index finger, and then eventually... And, and so, some people actually begin with a Q-tip. Some people begin with a Q-tip. I remember yes. working with clients where the, the Q-tip was, as you said, it's not about the muscular contractions, it's yes. about the intense... Fear. Yes. And that intense fear makes a Q-tip seem very yeah. scary. Yeah. And the thing to remember with that is a lot of the times, you know what that's like when it comes to fear. When we're afraid of something, we avoid it. Right? So what happens is when you attempt sex and you're afraid of that, you avoid it. And that's reinforcing your fear. And I definitely don't encourage people to just go for it and mm -hmm. bear the pain. No. 
there's a progressive, gradual, safe way of doing it. It has to be done in a safe way. And even if it's safe, there's going to be a level of discomfort, right? So it's about overcoming that level of discomfort one step at a time right. until you reach the level of being able to have penetrative sex or if that's what you want or whatever yeah. it is that you're looking for. And learning to take pleasure, I would think, is Absolutely. so important. Because Absolutely. I talk about this all, time, all the time. So we have a, a course online called Mindful Sex. Mm -hmm. And I think that this Mindful Sex program could address so many mm. of the mm. sexual and relational I'm issues. I'm sure it will. We have, because it's just about learning to be touched. I, I, and I, maybe I mentioned yeah. this too much. I'm not trying to hard sell this course, <laughs> because you can do a lot of this on your own. But just the capacity to allow your partner to caress your mm -hmm. face for 15 to 20 minutes without the pressure to reciprocate yeah. is overwhelming for so many of us. I can tell you even for me, because I'm, I'm almost... I'm in a bit of a space right now because I'm traveling all the time. Yeah. And I'm working so much and I'm, you know, every every day's a flight and a podcast mm -hmm. and, and a speech that I kind of just want to get things done and I'm not doing things mindfully. Like yeah. I'm not eating mindfully. Yeah. And even when I run home or get to see Brandon, we're having what I, I call, and I, you were at my event the other yeah. night, so I joked about it, maintenance sex. Yeah. Where we're not really tuning in. And that's okay. I'm okay we're with that. We're just getting it done. We're getting right? it done, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it feels good. It's yeah. a nice release and I feel connected to him. And, you know, it, that's helped me to let go of some of my frustrations. Mm -hmm. But I have to retrain myself. For example, when I go home this weekend, when I actually have time, I have to retrain myself to take my time yeah. to really enjoy. And if we don't do that in any realm of our lives... Why are we going to do that in sex? Yeah. Right? If absolutely. we don't have the skills to tune into eating, if we don't have the to skills. To slow things down. Yeah, to tune into a conversation mm -hmm. um, and not to play multiple roles, right? Not yeah. to be, you know, looking in on the conversation as a spectator, but to just really be here. If we don't have the capacity to just enjoy the sounds in our life, like there, it's a, the time of the year right now where the little birds are all, I think, building nests above my house is probably not a good thing. But I love the way they sound mm. in the morning. Yeah. And there are mornings where I take a moment to notice it. It's not, you know, 10 minutes of listening to the birds necessarily. And there are many days when I don't notice it. So we're moving so mindlessly through mm -hmm. life that we need to retrain ourselves. That is a very important point. Absolutely. Being in the moment. Yeah. Um, um, just allowing yourself to enjoy it, immersing yourself in the experience slowing things down really mm -hmm. like absolutely and it, it, it's a challenge for a lot of us nowadays yeah. for me for sure okay yeah. so and i interrupted yeah. you no so that's they're, totally they're, relevant <laughs> they're, they're touching themselves and, and yeah. then what's next um so so after learning or becoming more comfortable with inserting a finger they move on to practicing inserting two fingers mm -hmm. and and all of these steps are done in pretty much a similar fashion um it's going to be uncomfortable at first um, there has to be a level of discomfort that they're willing to bear. If it's too uncomfortable, then we need to modify it and maybe take it a step back. Right? So not painful. Definitely not painful. Uh, if there if there's pain, you should not do it. Um, uncomfortable in terms of like emotionally, like it's it's either they feel it's shameful or they feel it's scary. Um, but as long as it's again, it's a manageable level we're talking about here that they're willing to go through it's not too much that's going to cause damage whether it's emotionally or physically right is there a lot of breath work involved um definitely learning to um breathe take um long deep breaths progressive muscular uh relaxation is as one um tool they can use can also you, to can you describe that yeah so I use that <laughs> yeah um so it's basically learning to take long deep breaths and mentally there's different ways of doing it but the way i do it is mentally um 
checking in with all of your muscles um, from your head down all the way down to your toes and relaxing them. So it takes a few minutes if you go through all of your muscle groups, basically from your head, forehead, eyes, cheeks, jaw, neck, shoulders, arms, hands, fingers, chest, back, belly, hips, legs, you know, all the way down to your feet and toes. So you just gradually go through them all and relax your muscles while breathing deeply. And it's interesting because so many progressive relaxation and body scans skip mm. the pelvic region. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the way I do it, I do it backwards. I do it toe to head. Mm. Uh, and I did it last night when I was mm. trying to go to sleep. I didn't yeah. make it. I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. But I, I uh, wiggle my toes. Mm. And then I relax them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can either physically relax your muscles or just mentally do that. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. I tense up my feet. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. And then I relax them. And then you can do Kegel exercises. Exactly. <laughs> when you get up there. But we do need to pay more attention yeah. to our pelvic region. Oh, my God. I noticed myself recently, like a few months ago, that while standing up, my pelvic muscles were tight. And I'm like, why am I doing this? So I consciously had to relax. And I still do that. I check in. And I'm like, why am I tense? And I just kind of give, give myself a moment and actually consciously relax my pelvic muscles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't notice that we're tight and tense. And I'm sure it's the same with other parts of our bodies, like our shoulders, mm -hmm. right? Or Me, my jaw. Yeah, your jaw, exactly. I'm always doing weird stuff with this jaw. Yeah. Uh, so, so That sounded nasty. But <laughs> I am once in a while. In That's what she said. In the month of March, doing weird stuff with my jaw. So you do progressive relaxation. Yeah. You're doing breathing. Mm -hmm. um, it might be just putting the tip of the pinky finger in. Yes. And taking a few deep breaths. Mm -hmm. And that might be all you do one day. Exactly. And the trick here, the most important thing is to not take it out too soon. So you want to basically bear the discomfort until you are more relaxed and then you can take it out. Because if you take it out when you're uncomfortable, you're just reinforcing the avoidance cycle, right? You're creating that anxiety association. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so if you can just hold the tip in there, take a few deep breaths, what yeah. will happen is the muscles will begin to relax. Exactly. When the muscles relax, your mind starts to relax and you're creating a neutral. Exactly. If not positive. Yes. But a neutral association. Yeah as opposed to a negative one. Yeah, and once you've gone through at least feeling neutral about it, then we can work on the arousal and the mm -hmm. pleasure and the enjoyment, mm -hmm. right? So they work through uh, one, two, three fingers, basically. And some people work with dilators. Yeah. I don't. I prefer a woman actually being more in control of her finger and feeling her body. Interesting. Um, but that's a, just a personal choice. It's, you know, there's no right or wrong here. Um, and then... Once she feels confident, empowered, comfortable with her own body and having um, inserted three fingers, then they can move on to the partner doing that. So him starting with one finger, then two fingers, then three fingers. And so it's also a progressive way uh, with the same kind of, you know, the breathing, the relaxation, not taking it out too soon before she is relaxed. And again, they might sometimes need to take a step back if it's too much. So it's very tailored, you know, according to her needs, each right. client's needs. And it yeah. takes time. I Absolutely. think, you know, of course, you've been struggling with this for so long mm -hmm. by the time you come to a therapist. Mm -hmm. And I've worked through through this with many people, including someone who was close to me in my life who joined me on the podcast yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. And I, she had a pelvic floor therapist as yeah. well. It was just a small part of the of the process, the conversation. But it takes some time. So how long would you say on average it's taking for your clients to, uh, let's not even focus on intercourse, yeah. but to get comfortable mm. uh, with 
some pleasure in penetration. And and I want to also add the caveat that some people don't love penetration. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of us could go without it. Yeah. Uh, it's part of what we do, but it's only one small piece. And a lot of focus is on it. Oh. So it's interesting when you're talking about the mindful sex, was it mindful sex that you were, mm-hmm. the, the program, right? Um, you said uh, to be touched on your face for t- 15 minutes without the pressure to reciprocate. And I want to add the pressure to... Um, get aroused or yes. for it to lead to sex. Oh, God, no. Right? Yeah. So that's a big problem when it comes to sex is there's so much focus on the orgasm, number one, and on pe- penetration, intercourse. There's so much more to do. And you don't have to orgasm every time. You don't have to have penetrative sex every time. Like, I think if, if we focus more on, again, the experience, the connection, the sensations, no matter where it leads, that would make sex much more enjoyable and more relaxed mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of sex in general and sexual problems in general, I would say. Yeah. Um, going back to your question about how long it takes, I know you've heard this answer before. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very difficult question to yeah. answer <laughs> because it really depends on how committed the client is right. and how severe it is to begin with, right? So if, let's say, like you said, we have to start with a Q-tip, that's going to take longer than if she can insert her finger after like two weeks of starting treatment. You know what I mean? Right. And if it stems from trauma, you're going to be dealing with the trauma before we even move on. Exactly. Right? I think that sometimes people come with a goal, and I think that's great. I wish people would go to therapists with Mm -hmm. goals and be a little demanding of their therapists. And having said that, oftentimes the goal is aimed at overcoming a symptom of a problem yeah. as opposed to addressing the root exactly. issue. So if you can't, you know, if penetration is painful and anxiety provoking and that stems from trauma, mm-hmm. we can't just focus, as you said, on on relaxing the muscles and yeah. breathing and getting something in. We, yeah. we want to, if you're comfortable, you want to work with a trauma-informed therapist who can help you to work through that trauma as well. Absolutely. That's very important. Yeah. And I love that, um, you know, looking at the root cause or the underlying issue rather than the symptoms. And that's very much a part of what I do and how I love to approach things. Yeah. I'm, I'm much more about the connection, the, the relationship and your relationship with yourself as well. Um, and then the rest follows, you know, I, I see things when it comes to like sexual problems, um, th- that's the result of something. It's a symptom, right? So going back to like, if you go, if you have sex in in, in a more mindful, connected, um, sensate focused way versus focusing on the outcome, the outcome is gonna be what you want naturally because the process changed, right? Yeah. And we have yeah. to develop these skills outside the bedroom. That's that is for me the really big thing. Mm-hmm. I can't move mindlessly mindlessly through life and then expect to be mindful all of a sudden in the bedroom. Yeah. These all of these skills, whether it's tuning into pleasure, whether it's being a good listener, whether it's really being open yeah. to to alternative perspectives, these are habits or skills that we develop outside yeah, the bedroom. Yeah, to practice. Yeah, they yeah. become transferable to mm-hmm. sex. I find this really interesting. And you're all, you're writing a book, an upcoming book <laughs> on vaginismus. So we're well, going to have to stay tuned I hope. for that. <laughs> we'll stay tuned. I'm going to put you in touch with my publisher. Oh, yeah. yeah chat with them and Absolutely. see where it goes. So I really am thankful for your perspective on equine therapy, Thank which you. is brand new to me. Um, a very important topic of vaginismus, which I know affects yeah. you know, so many people and can be overcome. I think it that's can. And that's a great point. Thing. Yeah. It's treatable. Yes. It is. Everything. It takes time, commitment, work. Yeah. 
but it's treatable. Absolutely. Yes, don't suffer for long, please. Yeah. Yeah, and you can you can really make great strides with small efforts, mm-hmm. right? If you're if you're hoping to have one specific outcome in a week, that's not realistic. But I think we need to celebrate the small movements um, toward feeling better about ourselves and enjoying sex more and being yeah. more confident in our bodies and happier in our relationships. And I know you're doing that in your work. So we're going to link to Dr. Maha. I want to say your last name just to show off, but I'll just say <laughs> Dr. Maha's <laughs> handles. And uh, be sure to check out your work. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to you for listening. (laughs) Big thanks to Desire Resorts for your ongoing support of this podcast. I am hopping on there south of France, Spain, and Italy cruise very soon. We're leaving from Nice. I believe there are rooms left on this one. So check them out at Desire Experience. Wherever you're at, have a wonderful week. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.